And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, we're going to take a break from the news and present the Midday Christmas Eve special one day early. We're going to sample some seasonal music. We'll hear a story from Baltimore writer Rafael Alvarez. And we will hear Louis Armstrong's iconic reading of The Night Before Christmas. So that's on the way tomorrow here on Midday. Joining me now is Jason Gay. He's a sports and humor columnist for the Wall Street Journal. His new book touches on a sport or two, but leans heavily into the humor side of the equation. It's a set of essays called I Wouldn't Do That If I Were Me, Modern Blunders and Modest Triumphs, but Mostly Blunders. Jason Gay joins me here in Studio A. It's great to meet you. Thanks for coming over. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, this book is really funny, a bunch of essays about all sorts of topics. Um, tell us a little bit about the first one. It's called Vroom, uh, and you take your son to the Daytona 500. So you do mix humor and uh, sports uh, pretty frequently. Um, this is pre-COVID. Yes. Uh, and um, uh, it's it's not just a bonding experience with your son. It's uh, it's a lot more than just that. <laughs> it, it really was a wild thing, and, and, and the genesis of this was that I was trying trying to think as an exercise, what was the last big sporting event? My, my day job, as you mentioned, I'm a sports writer at the Journal. The last big sporting event I covered before COVID shut everything down and kind of put us on the shelf for a while was the Daytona 500. And if anybody's ever been to the Daytona 500 or a NASCAR event, you know that it's like a circus on top of a circus on top of a circus. And I brought my son for the first time to this. And, you know, if you were ever going to go out with a bang before, you know, the world closing down, there was not really a more uh, appropriate place to do it. It was just sort of theater of the absurd. And I, this was at his volition. My son, Jesse, is a big car fan, loves, you know, race cars, love the movie cars, you know, just was interested in, in, in and I know nothing. I, you know, I, I came into it, I could barely, you know, drive an automatic car, you know. <laughs> uh, so I was not in any position to give him any kind of ed- education, but we had an incredible couple of days there. And if anyone remembers that, that 2019 or that 2020 Daytona, they remember that it had a very apocalyptic ending where a driver named Ryan Newman uh, had a epic crash crossing the finish line. Um, a near-death experience. In fact, I mean, there's nothing funny about this, but it's in the book that, you know, went back to my hotel that night and wrote his obituary, you know, thinking yeah. that this was, you know, a, a And also to lost. explain that to your young son, you Horrifying. know, what, what they've just witnessed. Yeah. Horrifying. To go through this experience, it was all the emotions like, right, you're spending, you know, these races are long, so it's five hours of this incredibly great visceral moment with your child, and then you know they're 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 interested in the crashes mind you i mean sure. you're, you're seeing these crashes occur during the race and they've done so much incredible safety engineering in nascar that you're just accustomed to these drivers kind of popping out like little clowns from uh jack in the boxes after their crashes and yet this did not happen this time uh as it turned out he did have you know he did survive and the the engineering did work and it was a miracle on top of that but yeah i mean i just felt like the worst parent in the world because my son was witness to this and so it gets into that as well and speaking of things that are long uh one of my favorites is uh, not really an essay but simply a list uh of things that take less time than an average little league game <laughs> Uh, and this is, by the way, player pitch, not coach pitch. Yes, so when the yes. kids themselves are pitching. Yes, important and, distinction. Yes. Um, and they include, these are things that take less time than the average 
Little League game. Medical school. Yes. <laughs> the life of a gray tortoise <laughs> driving from Maine to Belize. These things can go on, can't they? <laughs> uh, they certainly can. I am a, uh, a nascent Little League parent, and this was my first season of player pitch. Now, coach, fi- co- p- coach pitch is a little bit more efficient. You know, you're getting those pa- p- balls over the plate a little faster. However, Kids, it's a whole different ball game, literally. And uh, you know, you got to be ready. You got to bring some good reading material if you're going to go to one of those little league games because they are long. <laughs> I mean, major league baseball games are pretty long on their own. I mean, they're trying to address that. I 100%. guess hundred percent. I yeah. mean, baseball. You know, there's this argument, and I'm an adherent to it that baseball is kind of a product of a different time, and we didn't have the kind of cluttered lives that we have now, where we're trying to get to and fro to a million things over the course of a day. That baseball is a game without a clock and that maybe you know the world that we live in now is not conditioned to that kind of environment i i would like to get to that place i think it's a nice thing to have a game without a clock but not when you're trying to get a couple other kids to school and uh, practice as well well you know and this will expose me this will out me as a non-golfer but i think golf is the same thing i mean it takes days to finish a golf tournament i mean it just seems like it goes on and on and on how many days have we had to delay 60 minutes because a golf <laughs> tournament has gone on interminably. So, so I, you're yeah. one of the folks who turns on uh, the channel at precisely 7 o'clock and is waiting for 60 minutes, the tick, 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 and you're like, what's this gosh darn uh, uh, golf tournament doing on? Well, not quite. I mean, I watch the Masters, <laughs> and I watch a few of the other ones that okay. I've like, heard of. You yeah. Know? But, I mean, you know, they're crouching down, they're looking at the putt, they're walking to the left, they're walking to the right. I mean, I, so there's millions of dollars on the line with each swing of the club. I mean, uh, please, gentlemen, go- let's speed it up. The golf that's on television bears no resemblance to the golf that I play myself. The golf that I play is really a disease, an affliction. It's not something <laughs> I'm proud of. It's something I'm trying to quit. And every year I get sucked back in. I have that experience, and I'm sure the casual golfers out there can relate to this. You have that one hole or that one 15-minute period of one afternoon where things actually go your way, and you say to yourself, you know, I might actually get yeah. pretty good at this. There, I've you mastered it. You will not. <laughs> you will not. You will never get there. You'll be right back in the pit of sadness that you always expected to go to. So <laughs> I, I highly recommend quitting at all costs and then going right back to it. I mean, parenting is a theme in this book. Yes. Um, there's a terrific chapter about uh, kids and sleeping. Um, and it's called Peas and Taxes. And you have a list of... Uh, suggestions for how to wake your kids up and stuff and they're they're subtle and they're i'm I'm sure they're they're the product of of great research one of them is uh if your child has a habit of sleeping in simply stomp into the child's room banging pots and pans screaming bear now now that's i i would imagine that would work for for the average eight-year-old you'd be surprised uh it might take a few more bangs and a few more shouts of bear uh i'm deliberating whether or not to take the leaf blower from the garage upstairs and putting that right in, <laughs> you know within position of their ears uh, this is a real transition because of course you know all parents out there know that you know you begin with children who are up at all hours who do not have any respect for your time clock and are waking you up at four five six o'clock in the morning now it's a choose on the other foot they don't want to get up it's actually a little bit more of a comfortable place especially on the weekends however yeah you do have to like literally pick them up in order to get them dressed in the morning, at least in my case. Jason Gay is my guest. He is a sports and uh, humor columnist at the Wa- uh, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the book is called I Wouldn't Do That If I Were Me, Modern Blunders and Modest Triumphs, but 
mostly blunders. <laughs> um, you, uh, you, you speak to people's uh, most deep-seated fears uh, in a few of these essays, one of which is called Interview with a Man Who Lost His Phone on the First Day of Vacation. <laughs> My gosh, can you imagine losing your phone for more than five minutes? Oh, my Lord, when you can't, when you can't identify where it is, it's a, it's a terrifying experience. You know, but on vacation, no uh, less. I mean, can you believe it? I talk to some older folks every once in a while, and can you believe it that people used to be able to go on vacation without a handheld phone at all times? It actually was something that existed in this world for thousands of years. However, we all, or many of us, or most of us, are so tethered to these machines now. And what happened to us is we were on a family vacation. I walked right out into the ocean with the phone in the pocket. And you know what the one thing you can't get into a phone is? You can put your phone in bubble gum, soda pop, any kind of tap water, but salt water is a killer. That phone was dead on arrival. And we had a week and a half left of vacation. And I have to tell you, this will probably surprise very few people, but it was great. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't miss anything. You know, you create these kinds of anxieties around the digital life, right? That if we're not tethered to our phone, we're going to miss an important call or a text or an email or some emergency is going to erupt at work. And granted, I don't have the kind of job, like a serious job that an emergency is going to erupt at work in that manner. But it, none of that happened. I was fine. The world moved on. You know, it was really kind of a, a liberating experience. And I so I don't recommend the walk into the water and ruin your phone thing because there is a cost associated with that. Right. But I, I definitely believe that leaving it behind is probably productive. Yeah, you could simply turn it off or simply leave it at home. Yeah. Well, you're a better man than I am because I, I, there's no chance. That <laughs> I, I would never be, do that. I'd be sneaking a peek of it at every opportunity. Absolutely. You know, I remember a few years ago, my wife and I were at the beach. Uh, our daughter is an adult. You know, it's been a long time since we've had a little kid in the house. And we saw a couple standing in the water, kind of knee-deep in the water, and one on the left, one on the right of about a four-year-old. And each of them has uh, one of the four-year-old's hands in one of their hands. And in the other hand, each of them had a phone. <laughs> and they were looking at texts or looking at whatever. And I thought to myself, you don't, uh, you don't know how quickly this phase goes away. You you don't know how fast it is until you have a daughter in her 30s. You know, I thought, please don't waste this moment. Get rid of the phone. Just concentrate on the I, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I can do this now. Uh, that was me and my wife yeah. with our four-year-old. Uh, I'm sorry to tell you that. That sounds very much in sync with yeah, us. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure everybody has done it uh, more than <laughs> once. Um, tell us about your cat. Oh. Uh, I read a great essay about the cat, and I thought, isn't that nice? And then another essay about the cat pops up, and then a third essay of, about the cat. So the cat is <laughs> is one of the threads in this book, Jason. Well, the cat's <laughs> becoming a little bit of a prima donna. The cat's starting to come to me and saying, you know, wants a percentage of any kind of royalties coming out of this book, wants to be paid for interviews. Deserves it. Becoming a real difficult cat. But the cat was difficult to begin with. This is a cat named Baxter, who my wife and I had for many, many, many years. And in COVID, we had the opportunity to go to someone's house and borrow it uh, in the early days of COVID, except the condition was no cat because the homeowner was allergic to pets, could not have this cat in the home. So the cat went to live with my mother. My mother, who lives alone, my father passed away a number of years ago, lovely person, not really a cat person, proceeds to 
fall head over heels in love with this cat. I mean, to the point that my uh, seven-year-old daughter is wondering if Nana is going to get married to this cat. Yeah. Uh, and this cat has a bunch of epic adventures that I'll try not to spoil with you, but suffice it to say, this cat enters her life, then leaves it in an extremely dramatic, jarring, emotional way. Uh, and I'll leave it there. But, you know, it really spoke to, you know, what I was trying to do with this book, of course, was that, you know, these period of, you know, three and a half or so on years that we've going experiencing COVID, you know, it's obviously been a very challenging, dramatic, oftentimes painful and horrible period of time for people. However, at the same time, lives were so disrupted and families had to adapt in different ways that there were silver linings and pieces of humor in it. And that's what one of the things I was trying to do in this book was speak to a little bit of those moments and have a little bit of fun with what was obviously a very painful time. Yeah, it was a painful time and the book is a lot of fun. But, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, Jason, your your, your mom stole your cat. <laughs> And that's that's tough. That's rough. I mean that 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 is that is perhaps a therapist's dream. You, you know, know, if she were here, she would say possession is three quarters of the cat. I think, right? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, there's no going back. I mean, you go to the visit this cat now, and the cat's like, I, I don't know who you are. I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> the sound, you know, I'm happy here. He's yeah. like, he, he, she would send pictures of herself with the cat and the cat would look like, you know, one of those like new divorcees on a first vacation to Italy or something like that. You know, right. this, this cat was just delighted to be out of our home because it's we a, had small children who were torturing this cat at all times. <laughs> but, you know, you, you got the picture, you got the mom, you got the Chardonnay, you got the cat. <laughs> it's complicated. Um, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about sports. Yeah. You tweeted this morning that uh, you might want to talk uh, talk about Falston Cup Rec Soccer. <laughs> I don't know what that is. You said in your tweet, if you well, know, you know. Well, guess what? Well, I don't know. Well, the, there was, you know, there was a mention in the in, in the uh, in the station's tweet talking about World Cup and Ravens, and those are things that I would love to talk about anytime, but I'm also coming off of, you know, my first really big-time youth soccer season here in Baltimore. My family moved here about a year and a half ago, or for my wife, moved back to the region, and I had very limited experience as a as a youth sports parent, and I didn't realize until I showed up here, people take it pretty serious down here. and And I like to, you know, think of myself as somebody who's not screamer, or yeller. I'm not trying to tackle the referee in the parking lot after the games, but you know, people get excited. And my daughter had the opportunity to play in this Falston Cup, which is an end of season tournament for a bunch of uh, recreational leagues, and she had more people watching her in these soccer games than I had at all of my high school sporting experiences combined. I mean, right. it was incredible. Uh, when the she, crowd goes crazy, it's a real crowd. And it felt like there was big ritual, this breakthrough for her. And, uh, you know, she said to me on the way there, she said, Daddy, I just want to have fun and get a big trophy. <laughs> so I think her priorities were yes. somewhat correct. Life is about fabulous prizes, <laughs> let's face it. So the Baltimore Ravens, yeah. tell me, yeah. Lamar Jackson famously didn't sign a contract. He's yes. you know, waiting till next year or mm -hmm. waiting till after the season, mm -hmm. and now he's hurt, yes. and then there's Tyler Huntley, and he's you know having mixed results in yes. his uh, big... Uh, you know, fill in role. What's going to happen with this team? Do we are we ever going to score a touchdown again? 
Okay. You know, mean, let me just put it let that me, way. Pull back the lens here. As somebody who now watches all these Ravens games with a local interest, I, they are the most brilliant and brilliantly stupefying team in the sport, I think. They have the ability to win games they should never win and then the ability to lose games they should never lose. They are maddening. They are incredible. They run the gamut of emotions. But the quarterback situation, which you allude to, is a huge issue hanging over this season and whatever comes next. The Ravens, of course, you know, have the option to franchise Lamar Jackson for next year, which means that they can take basically the composition of the five biggest salaries in the profession, the five biggest quarterback salaries, an average of that, and pay him that per- guaranteed for the year. Wouldn't it be great? We made a huge mistake not becoming football quarterbacks. How great does that yeah, sound, right? It would have been a, but a that actually job. is not what Lamar wants. Lamar wants a long-term commitment, a long-term deal, and the, and the difficult situation is that the NFL went through this period of going crazy with quarterback contracts recently. They did big deals for uh, Kyler Murray in, in, in Arizona, big deals for Russell Wilson in Denver. Um, and, and these things aren't necessarily working out. And uh, Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. And Lamar looks at that and says, I'm better than all these guys. I should get more money than all these guys. And, and he's not wrong. Uh, however, the Ravens, you know, want to be prudent here. And, and so that's where the impasse is. And, and the fact that he's out and the Ravens are struggling certainly speaks to his value to the team, I would say. Yeah, I was actually at the Denver game, uh, which included, I think, the last touchdown they scored. And that was, what, <laughs> four months ago, that game? I, I mean, watched... it just goes on forever. With, uh, they just can't score. I mean, I know they pulled that out at the end. But I, one that was point one of, they won that one of those games where, like, I felt they should have been handing everybody a $20 bill on the way out to have to have sat through that thing. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was not And a, there were all sorts of people who left before they yes, scored the touchdown at the true. end. That's true. That's you know, true. The, the stands that were That was a low quality game. <laughs> but this is a high quality book and it's a lot of fun and I appreciate your coming by talking about it. It's called I Wouldn't Do That If I Were Me: Modern Blunders and Modest Triumphs, but Mostly Blunders by my guest Jason Gay. Thanks so much and uh, happy holidays. Thank you kindly. Coming up, a review of the new production at Baltimore's Everyman Theater. Jay Wynn Russick joins me after a quick break. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR.